Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Is oral delights show number one hundred? Two hundred. Crime City Central, featuring tales to terror. Four hundred. Protecting Project Paul and the all-new show five hundred. Hello, welcome to Starship Echoes. Yeah, it's got that one right this time. Today, we're going to go back to March the 3rd, 2010. And it was Oral Delights, show number 123. And I want to just pick a little bit out of this show because at some points in Starship Sova's history, as we know, you big shows, you know what I mean? Sometimes they were going on for like nearly three hours, you know, like the different stories. And I'll give you a little like a rundown of this show. It was, the, the title was Oral Delights, number 123, C.M. Kornbluth versus Mercurio Riviera. Now, this is the time when I remember I was doing old versus new, you know, and so much energy and, <laughs> and drive and vigour in them days. Well, this was a, I would play two stories, you know, man, when I think about the, the works that involved I'll, in this, you know, this was the mag, a magazine, an audio magazine. First off, I got a, a guest editorial by the fantastic, science fiction fantasy writer Jason Samford. Then I had a little thing called Explained in 60 Seconds, which was Megan Argo. Just a little glimpse of the the stars and the science and space and astronomy. Just a little kind of something explained in 60 seconds. Then, which I'll, I'll find and I'll play as well. We've got the intro to Snatch Me Another. And this is the story I want to play by Mercurio Riviera. Which, you know, then we had that the main fiction was Mercurio's. Then we had a fact article. So I'm wondering when is, when we started doing Amy's fact articles. As I can say, she's just hit, you know, this month now is Amy's 100th edition of Looking Back at Genre History. So I'm sure 2010 Amy was well into it still, you know, still kind of pump, pumping them out. Then we had, which is an intro into The Adventurer by Lauren Santoro. Now, I don't know, I can't remember Larry with the, the intro of The Adventurer. Then the main fiction, what are oh, the main fiction, The Adventurer by C.M. Cornbruth. That's why. So Larry must have narrated, oh, that's right, Larry narrated that story. And then for, for whatever reason, I've got a, an apology to Cheryl Morgan and John Kimler. I don't know what what that's about as well, you know what I mean? So what I'm going to do, I'm going to get that story, snatch me another. And why I, you know, I'm going back to this particular story is I, I love the story. And I, I hit up a good friendship. We, you know, we haven't played anything from Mercurio for a while there, but I still see him on Facebook. And I, the idea 
of this was where you could just almost cut reality and put your hand through and grab grab something on the other on the other side of this you know reality plane for one for a bit of description i love that you know it was always in philip pullman's the subtle knife you know he, he, that that techno on that that what well, for a bit of description that you know you could you could actually do that so and uh, i love that you know what i mean it's just it's the kind of the kid in us you know what i mean the excitement of like opening up a a reality and stepping through it is just fascinating. Just, you know what I mean? Great story. Great story, this one as well. So I'll hand you over to a, a young Mr. Smith and we'll we'll see you on the other end of this little echo. Hello, I'm Mercurio Rivera, the author of Snatch Me Another, the story you're about to hear. My fiction has appeared in a number of markets, most notably the British magazine Inner Zone, which has published five of my SF stories. And I have a story in the latest issue of the magazine and in next month's issue as well. I'm also an assistant editor at Sybil's Garage magazine, which, by the way, is currently open for submissions. Um, Snatch Me Another was inspired by an earlier story I had written entitled Dear Annabelle's, uh, which appeared in issue 1718 of Electric Velocipede. In Dear Annabelle's, the world as we know it has been transformed by a new piece of a new piece of technology, a snatcher, that allows you to grab objects from alternate dimensions. That story consisted of a series of very mundane, at least initially very mundane, letters to an advice column named Dear Annabelle. Each letter to this advice column told a very specific story about ordinary everyday problems in a setting in which this snatching technology exists as a possible solution. Through these series of tiny snapshots, the reader gets a global view of this transformed world. When I finished Dear Annabelle's, I was inspired to take one of those letters about a couple having problems with their child's birthday party and to expand it into a a full-fledged short story. That story became Snatch Me Another. I am extremely lucky that I happen to be in part of an outstanding writer's group, Ultra Fluid, who saw the first draft of the story and gave me some terrific suggestions for improvements. Also, occasionally, we have guest editors who sit in on our meetings, and the week that I submitted a first draft of Snatch Me Another, we had one of the preeminent editors in our field, uh, Ellen Datlow, sitting in. So I also uh, benefited from her input as well on the story. Uh, Snatch Me Another first appeared at Abyss and Apex and was reprinted in Rich Horton's year-end anthology, Unplugged, the web's uh, best science fiction fantasy stories, Download 2008, by Worm Publishing. The story received an honorable honorable mention in Gardner Duzois' year's best science fiction anthology and also appeared on the Locust Recommended list for 2008, finishing at number 25 in the short story category uh, for for all the stories published that year. It was also acknowledged on the Story South Million Writers list for 2008. I hope you enjoy it. Snatch Me Another by Mercurio de Rivera, read by Liz Mirzieski. Lindy sat in her compact pickup truck, took a deep whiff of In Bliss, and tossed aside the spent plastic inhaler. She rested her forehead against the cold steering wheel. A blue-tinted circular portal the size of a manhole cover opened up over the passenger seat, and a thin, bare arm descended from it. She recognized the limb's freckled, pale skin, the small scar on the inner wrist. It was her own arm. 
It groped blindly until it grabbed the inhaler, then retracted. The portal disc closed with a pop. Ah, take it, Lindy muttered. It's empty anyway. She stared at the front door of her red brick colonial. The buzz started to kick in, and calmness fell over her like a warm shawl. She left the truck door open and staggered down the gravel path and up the porch stairs. Lindy jammed her hand into the pocket of her jeans, fumbling for the house key. As she stood on the welcome mat, she heard the television blasting, frenetic munchkins singing Follow the Yellow Brick Road, and the white noise of chattering children. She stabbed at the keyhole and missed three times, but the door swung open. Mommy, Tommy said. He wore a bright blue birthday hat over his patch of curly red hair. Look what I got. He held up two identical G.I. Joe dolls. For a second, Lindy felt nothing but pure love. But then the glow faded to a muted sadness. That's nice, dear, she mumbled. Go, go play with your friends. She stepped around him through the throng of shouting six-year-olds beyond the swinging door that led from the shag-carpeted living room to the bright kitchen. She leaned against the Formica counter to regain her balance. Christina sat at the table, scooping strawberry ice cream onto white paper plates. She paused, blew a dangling strand of brown hair out of her eyes, and glanced at Lindy warily. "'Nice of you to show up,' Christina said. "'Tommy's been asking for you.' "'How did she slip back into the role of house mom without missing a goddamn beat?' Lindy thought. "'How could it be so easy for her?' "'Are you okay?' Christina asked. "'Just peachy.' We, "'We need some more plates. Could you snatch me some?' Christina grabbed a dirty paper dish with a curly-cued happy birthday emblazoned on it, tore off a clean edge, and handed her the slip of cardboard. Lindy took long, deep breaths. "'Are you sure you're okay?' Christina said. She snorted her assent. <laughs> "'Why wouldn't I be? It's a party.' Let's wear our hats and sing happy birthday until our throats hurt. And let's not forget to pin the tail on the goddamn donkey. Christina looked away and continued scooping ice cream out of the frosty carton. Clutching the sliver of cardboard, Lindy lurched through the doorway that led from the kitchen into the garage. The snatcher sat next to the washing machine. Wide-mouthed and waist-high, it resembled a barrel with a glistening silver coating. If it didn't weigh so much, if it weren't so sturdy, she would have kicked the goddamn thing on its side and taken an axe to it. But what difference would it have made? Over the past six months, the black market had exploded. With a single phone call to Senecal, Christina could have it replaced within 24 hours. Lindy lifted the heavy metal lid and leaned in, placing the piece of the paper plate, the honing sample, at the bottom of the snatcher. She placed the cover back on and rotated a red dial on the device's side. Then she heard the familiar rumbling and bushing deep inside it, like distant thunder and violent wind gusts, the sound of dimensional walls crumbling. Lindy lifted the cover. The snatcher's maw released a thick blue mist. She rolled up her sleeve and bent down, sticking her arm in up to her shoulder, groping blindly until she felt the paper plate. She pulled out a whole white plate with the same orange-lettered happy birthday on it. Placing and removing the lid over and over, she continued reaching in and snatching out one after the other. Cake crumbs coated one plate, so she let it fall back through the base of the snatcher. When she reached in again, she felt someone slap her hand. She withdrew her arm and tried again until she had a dozen dishes in hand, perfect replicas, except for a single one with an off-white color.
She imagined the reactions in the alternate dimensions. Ruining a few of these parties, she had to admit, albeit in different universes, wouldn't make her lose any sleep. When she returned to the kitchen, Tommy burst through the swinging door and hugged her leg. Mommy! Mommy, will you play musical chairs with us? The plates fluttered to the floor. Mommy, will you... Listen! I told you to go play with your friends, okay? She pushed past the boy and trudged up the stairs. Lindy! Christina shouted after her. She paused at the top of the staircase and looked over her shoulder. Christina crouched down and comforted the crying boy. At that moment, Lindy thought she felt something again. The remnants of a maternal love so raw, so deep, it threatened to paralyze her, drown her. She reached into her jacket pocket for another inhaler and slammed the bedroom door behind her. One week earlier, on a chilly September morning, Lindy had leaned against a tree at the summit of a grassy hill while Father DeMichael delivered a prayer over the white oak casket, which lay wrapped in red roses and white tulips. Across from her, on the other side of the casket, Christina stood between her mother and a second Father DeMichael, who held her hand and bowed his head. No one could distinguish the original Joseph E. DeMichael, the one who had counseled Christina all her life, from the one pulled over from another reality. Lindy shivered. She'd heard rumors of people crossing over, but she'd never seen these variants before. A dozen colleagues from the car shop where Lindy worked surrounded them. Half stared at the casket, while the other half raised their eyebrows and whispered to each other, gawking at the two Father DeMichaels. Lindy turned her attention to Christina. During their intimate moments together, Lindy always playfully referred to Christina's simple girl-next-door looks as domestic sexiness. But on this day, Christina's blank, bloodshot eyes peered out from behind her tangled and unwashed hair. Until that moment, Lindy hadn't noticed her pallid face had a too-thoughtful expression, a look with just a slight hint of madness. At home, she'd remained mute and blank-faced on the prescribed inhalers they were both taking— sleepwalking through her daily routines. A blue circular portal appeared in midair over the coffin, and a long, bare arm reached down and plucked away a white tulip. Everyone pretended it hadn't happened. The father to Michael presiding over the service cleared his throat and continued with the prayer. Lindy gazed up at two enormous looming thunderclouds that seemed identical, with just a slit of blue sky separating them. Both appeared thick and dark gray, she focused, trying to detect a difference in the cloud's size or shape or respective shades of gray, with no success as they converged. A light drizzle began to fall. Umbrellas sprouted up around her. She continued looking skyward, enjoying the feel of the cold rain on her face. After the last of the children left the party and Christina came to bed, Lindy went into the bathroom and inhaled more in bliss. She tried to maintain her equilibrium as she wobbled back to the bed. Christina lay there with the pillow propped up against her back, her reading glasses on the edge of her nose, rifling through the newspaper. Did you kiss Tommy goodnight? Lindy didn't reply. She pulled back the covers on her side of the bed and lay down. After a few minutes, Christina spoke again. Did you read today's Dear Annabelle column? Apparently someone stole a tiny fragment of Van Gogh's Starry Night. She placed the open newspaper on her lap. There are now over a thousand originals, and the prices are plummeting with each new one that's retrieved. And what did dear Annabelle have to say about this? 
to relax that we're living in a brand new world and have to learn to redefine our moral boundaries. Lindy grunted. Should I call Senecal and order a starry night? We can have it delivered first thing in the morning. I suppose it's irrelevant that Senecal is an illegal dealer or that the snatcher is illegal or that every damn thing we pull out of the snatcher is illegal. I think the painting would look fabulous in the living room, centered over the sofa, don't you? Ever since we got the snatcher, nothing seems to matter anymore. Senecal won't take the money anymore, by the way. They want unique items they can use as honing samples. Are you even listening? Lindy asked. Christina sighed and pushed her reading glasses up the bridge of her nose. Look, there's no point fighting it. Legal or not, everyone has one by now. Even cops have their own snatchers. We don't need a snatched painting. There are sometimes slight differences. Imperceptible, usually. Doesn't it bother you that in a thousand alternate universes, Van Gogh's original Starry Night is now missing? Why do you have to think about these things? Christina frowned. This is bigger than us. And all I know is we're losing things left and right in this house. This morning, my earrings got snatched. And just this afternoon, an arm swiped a $20 bill off my dresser. If other realities steal from us, then why shouldn't we steal from them? Plus, haven't you read the newspaper? Christina said. She lifted the paper from her lap. We now have all the simian flu vaccine we'll ever need and an endless food supply to feed the hungry. What about all the other craziness? The economic crisis. It's only been six months since the first snatcher prototype was stolen. And now everything's spinning out of control. Can't you see that? Lindy, Christina sighed and put her hand on her shoulder. But Lindy rolled over and wrapped the covers around herself. After a long pause, Lindy whispered, How'd the kids' parents react today? They seemed fine. They were just happy to see Tommy's feeling better. Don't kid yourself. They knew. They knew, and they were just being polite. Christina turned off the reading light. They lay there, back to back, in the darkness, in awkward silence, filling the air before Lindy spoke again. No starry night, okay? Christina inhaled as if to respond. Mommy? Tommy's voice squeaked from the doorway. I had a bad dream. Christina turned on the nightstand lamp and sat up. Come here, baby. Tommy ran to her, and she lifted him up on her lap. I was lost, he said, and I couldn't find you. It's okay, you're safe, she said, snuggling him. Lindy stood up and grabbed her pillow. After a few seconds, Christina said, Mommy's going to read you a story, just like she always does, so you can fall back asleep. Her eyes drilled into Lindy's. Aren't you, Mommy? Lindy nodded. Can we read Thunder Bear Adventures? Tommy asked. Honey, there's no such book with that title, Christina said. But it's my favorite one. Mommy always reads it to me. Lindy and Christina locked eyes again. When they had returned from the cemetery, Christina changed into her white nightgown, even though it was the middle of the afternoon. She hovered about the house aimlessly. And there was a lag in her responses to Lindy's questions, as if communicating via satellite. In a strange, flat voice, Christina announced she was going upstairs to take a nap. Lindy sat down on the living room sofa and turned on the news telecast. None of the stories registered. Only random words and phrases penetrated her consciousness. Snatcher. Pandemonium. 
Markets crashing. War. Variant. Lindy could only think of those final moments in the hospital. Tommy lying there unconscious, his head wrapped in bandages, his shallow breathing becoming labored, and then raspy before finally ceasing. Given the circumstances, the surgeon's inability to reach the brain tumor, the odds that they'd been given, the potent chemotherapy treatments he'd undergone, his death shouldn't have come as a surprise. But at that moment, the world had settled into a dull, steady gray that had yet to fade. An hour later, Christina stomped down the stairs faster than she had moved the entire day, brandishing a hairbrush like a conductor's baton. "'What's the matter?' Lindy asked. "'Tommy was so excited about next week's birthday party. Kool-Aid, cake, ice cream, games, okay? Friday afternoon.' She continued vocalizing scattershot thoughts. Her eyes snapped left and right. Let's have the party, okay, Lindy? I don't know why we never thought of it before. The solution is so obvious. She'd fallen asleep crying. Smudged tracks of mascara stained her cheeks. Let's celebrate Tommy's birthday, okay, Lindy? Okay? What are you talking about? It doesn't have to be this way. She waved her hands in the air. Honey, he's gone. Lindy swept Christina's hair back from her forehead. But he doesn't have to be. She pulled a patch of Tommy's red hair from the brush and held it between her thumb and index finger. Don't say it, Lindy said. Don't even think about it. She put her hands on Christina's shoulders and looked her in the eye. Listen to me. We'll get past this. I promise. Christina pushed her hands away and turned around, looking out the window. I'm not getting past anything. We're bringing him back. As her determination set in, her shaky voice sounded more coherent. Don't you think others have done this? The obituary column gets shorter every day. She spun around and faced her again. For his birthday, Lindy, so we can throw him the party he wanted. Black rivulets began to run down her cheeks again. What kind of parents are we? We can save him, Lindy. We can save him. How can we not? She choked on the final word and sobbed into her hands. It wouldn't be our Tommy, she replied. Although Lindy had steeled herself during Tommy's illness and the burial, she found her lower lip quivering. And we couldn't do that to another child's parents. With their snatcher, they could snatch themselves another Tommy. He's dead. That's it. Christina's face grew stern, and she paused for a long while before speaking again. Then, all at once, her grave expression melted. I'm sorry, Lindy. She sighed and collapsed on the living room couch. It's just so hard. Lindy sat down next to her. I understand. I know you're right, Christina said. I know we'll find a way to get past this. She wiped at the corner of her eyes with the sleeve of her flannel nightgown. Lindy patted her thigh. Do you want anything? Christina asked. She stood up and headed toward the swinging door to the kitchen. Lindy shook her head and stared at the framed picture on the coffee table of the three of them in Maui, she and Christina and Tommy, all in their bathing suits, sporting yellow lays and broad smiles. Tommy wore Lindy's sunglasses. She felt like an overstretched rubber band. A minute ago, she'd been on the verge of tears. But now she found herself smiling. A blue disc materialized in midair, and a tanned arm with blood-red fingernails snaked out of it. 
It snatched the framed photograph and retreated back into the portal. God damn it, not that picture, Lindy thought. If she'd just had another second to react, she would have stabbed the goddamn hand with a fork. A shriek cut through the silence. Lindy leapt up from the couch and ran into the kitchen. The door to the garage was wide open. No, she hadn't. Lindy thought she didn't. Lindy ran to the garage and was confronted with the sight of Christina leaning over the snatcher. She had pulled Tommy halfway out. His skin was blue-white, and he wore the navy blue suit in which they had buried him. He was unmistakably dead. Christina continued to wail. Let go, Lindy grabbed her arms. Let him go. Christina released her grip, and the cadaver dropped, disappearing into the ethereal blue mist that wafted out of the snatcher. Her hands shaking, Christina placed the metal lid back on the snatcher and then removed it again. Lindy tried to pull her away from the device, but Christina surprised her with a shove that sent her sprawling to the floor. Christina reached into the snatcher and soon had another variant of Tommy in her grasp, which she tugged upwards. Before long, she cradled another corpse, this one more decomposed than the first, but still outfitted in the same navy blue suit, and let out a high-pitched screech. For God's sake, stop it, Lindy said. Christina dropped the body back into the snatcher and turned the red dial on the side all the way to the right. On her third attempt, she leaned in and pulled out a red-faced Tommy clad in polka-dotted pajamas. What's happening? He screamed, slapping at her arms. Christina laughed and kissed his cheeks and hugged him tight. Tommy began to cry. It's okay, baby. Your mommies are here. Christina rocked him in her arms in an exaggerated motion. Lindy moved toward them and grabbed the boy around the waist, prying him from Christina's embrace. What are you doing? Christina said. Lindy carried him back over the mouth of the snatcher and tried to jam him back in. The boy wailed and splayed his legs, his feet catching on the sides of the snatcher. Mommy, he sobbed. He wrapped his arms around Lindy's neck. Mommy! She stopped struggling. Tommy, Lindy said. She hugged him back. Shh, shh, shh. It's okay. It's okay. As Lindy led him back to his room for the bedtime story, Tommy stopped to put on a stray birthday hat, then diverted them to the bathroom. He insisted on brushing his teeth again before going back to sleep, a classic stalling tactic for sure. But she saw no real harm in it. She held Tommy from behind while he perched on a stool and brushed his teeth. Peering into the bathroom mirror, she took the toothbrush out of his left hand and moved it to his right hand. Why can't we read Thunder Bears? He drooled toothpaste into the sink when he spoke. We'll read it another night, she lied. Just pick another book. He shifted the toothbrush back into his left hand and continued brushing. Use your other hand, honey. It will be easier. But when Lindy tried to remove the toothbrush from his left hand again, he pulled away and continued brushing. No, Mommy! Lindy focused on the smooth, effortless movements as Tommy brushed up and down with his left hand. And all at once, the hairs on her arms stood on end. She had allowed herself to forget. Just for a few minutes that this boy was not her son. Tommy, her Tommy, was right-handed. She took a step backward. He rinsed and raced to his bedroom. I'll get the book! Lindy felt dizzy. Her heart raced. She needed another whiff of in-bliss. Staggering after the boy, she stood at the doorway to his bedroom, Tommy's bedroom, and watched the imposter look through the books. Tommy's books on the bottom shelf. I can't find Thunder Bears, he whined. Huh? The words barely registered. Her Tommy deserved better than this, she thought. 
He deserved to be remembered, to be mourned. I want you to read me Thunder Bears. Look, just go to sleep, she said. You promised, he started to cry. I want Thunder Bears. For a split second, the boy stopped weeping. He winced and brought his hands to his temples. Then the bawling grew louder. What's the matter? My head hurts, he said, sobbing. Lindy gasped. Her heart pounded. She leaned back against the wall and found herself sliding to the floor. She stared up at the light fixtures on the ceiling, which were spinning, spinning. Tommy continued crying for his book, his hands on the sides of his head, until Lindy crawled over to him. She lifted him up and lay him down on the bed. Shh, it's okay, baby. Mommy's here. She held him in her arms, massaging his forehead. No, 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 she thought. We can't go through this again. Not again. And after a minute, he cried himself to sleep. She set him down on the bed. The entire room was spinning now. She stared at her hands. They seemed to be moving independently from her body, clutching the soft pillow. She moved it an inch away from his face and held it there for a few seconds. What are you doing? Christina said from the doorway. Lindy jumped to her feet, dropping the pillow. Christina's eyes widened. Her face flushed. Lindy staggered past her and down the stairs. As she opened the front door, Christina shouted from the top of the stairway, What were you doing? Lindy slammed the door behind her. Lindy drove several blocks to the beach and stayed awake all night in the pickup truck, staring at the ink-black sky. Not a single star was visible behind the dark thundercloud cover. The rhythmic swoosh of the distant waves reminded her of Tommy's final raspy breaths at the hospital. She blinked and the sky suddenly grayed. A sickly dawn had arrived, illuminating the garbage-strewn sands. She drove back home and parked at the curbside. After half an hour, she found the energy to sleepwalk down the gravel pathway to the porch of their house. Ice cold, numb. What had she almost done? Christina would forgive her anything, she always thought. But this? As Lindy moved past the living room window, she caught a glimpse of two figures inside. There, on the couch, watching cartoons, lay Tommy. And Christina sat next to him. Van Gogh's Starry Night hung in the wall behind them. And all at once a tremendous wave of relief washed over her, as if yesterday had been nothing more than a drug-induced nightmare. And today she'd been slapped awake to a brand new shiny reality— Maybe Christina felt the same way. Maybe they could both find a way to get past this. This time, she thought the doctors would catch the tumor early. This time, he'd be okay. She'd be a good mother to him. Lindy now knew she'd somehow find a way to adjust to accept the new Tommy as her own. Dear Annabelle was right. They lived in a different world now. As she walked toward the front door, Lindy got a full view of the living room. Her heart froze. A third person... A woman sat next to Christina, thigh against thigh, laughing along with them. The woman got up and walked behind the couch and tickled Tommy from behind, catching him off guard. As Tommy squealed, Christina also shrieked with laughter. The woman was Lindy. Lindy stepped back from the window and staggered down the walkway. She tripped and fell to her knees, crawling to the pickup truck. There she fumbled for the inhaler in the glove compartment and took a hit. The sky, the world, was spinning. And as a quietude gradually enveloped her, she imagined an outstretched arm appearing in midair, 
white and smooth and smelling of Christina's perfume, reaching down to take her hand and pull her up through a patch of cobalt blue sky to a different place, a place where she belonged. She took another deep whiff. And there you go. March the 3rd, 2010. Like I say, full of full of vigour and, you know, everything there. So uh, I get a little bit jaded now, uh, been in there a while. So listen, thank you for listening. If you can, honestly, we all these shows are just come by the kindness of you at Perion. So please think about that. You know, we've got a private Discord centre there or centre where we can come and have a chat. We do that with Red Dwarfs over there. We've got the ad freeze. You'll get this ad free on Patreon over there as well, all for just a couple of, couple of dollars a month. So that would be really appreciated. Until the next time, take good care. Is Oral Delights, show number 100. Two hundred. Crime City Central, featuring tales to terror. Four hundred. Protecting Project Home and the all-new Far Show. Five hundred.